All right, all right, all right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back in the building. Newest episode. Welcome back to the JWJ podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, James Washington, and I'm going to do something a little bit different today before I introduce our other co-host. I have a very special introduction that I want to make. And yes, I'm going to do it because I'm the type of buddy that likes to brag. So what I'm going to do is I'm about to introduce the 2022 Georgia Press Association award winning. I'm talking third place sports feature, third place sports column, first place sports photo, first place sports section, first place sports coverage. Guys, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Latest award ceremony, and I quote, the judge for the sports section said in their own words, this is a super sports section in every respect. It's insightful, interesting writing and awesome photos. Readers must be glad to have you as their hometown newspaper. And guys, you know who runs that section? You know who runs that section? That's my boy. My boy coming on the mic right now. That's Mr. Shane Thomas. I wish I had some Ric Flair music right now. What's going on, big dog? Hey, I get you money. <laughs> Thank you so much, man, for that, that introduction, man. You, you, you're trying to make tears come out my face. Oh, I'm going to do it even more because, guys, when y'all hear this, I need y'all to send us audio clips of y'all singing happy birthday to the boy because my dude is a year older right now since it's after midnight on the East Coast. Happy birthday, bro. I appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. Another another year around the sun, right? So yes. uh, 34th birthday. And uh, we've already had we already had our celebration last week and, and it continues for the next four days. So, yeah, 34 years old. Uh, James, thank you for the for the awesome introduction, man. Like, I don't think people realize we will probably touch on this on a later episode, but I don't think people understand. Like, you know, I've been a professional journalist for six years. I've been doing this since college. Like I, I won things in college and didn't think that, you know, it would be that hard. And I get to the pro level and I mean, shoot, I went my first three years and I didn't win anything. And it, I was, it was a lot of self-doubt. So like these last three years, man, we've really, we've really stepped our game up and, you know, it's, it's a section I can take ownership of. And, you know, these last three years, we've been an award-winning paper and we've increased our first places every year. I think in our editorial section, we've had what we had five first places and I got three of them. So, uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're doing good things down at the Valdosta Daily Times. Uh, and it's an honor to be, you know, representing Georgia Press like that. So hashtag um, general excellence. Yeah, which sounds <laughs> weird, but it it a hey, general excellence five years in a row. There you go. Uh, I said it a few minutes ago. I'm gonna say it again. Holla at your boy, I get some money. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, man. But look, that can actually lead us right in. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you get to the recap. But look, you you were talking about how, you know, you've been doing it for, you know, you've been doing it for a minute and you, you were getting discouraged and this and that. And you know what, that, that actually sounds like um, a certain individual who I'm sure we're going to talk about in a little bit, because uh, 
after quite the road to get to the mountaintop, uh, Mr. Gary Payton II is finally a champion now. And I'm sure he had some of those moments where he wasn't sure where his path was going to take him. But uh, he knows where it's taking him now because he is there. Man, and, and you know, that's got to be sweet for his dad. I mean, growing up in that area and and seeing what his son has gone through. I mean, this was a guy that was what that he was he was trying to lobby for a job as a video coordinator for Golden State after they cut him like two or three times so I mean that's an inspiring story for sure and trying trying to get his Eric Spolstra on it absolutely absolutely <laughs> and, and and that 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 just goes to show don't quit you just put your head down and keep working and, mm-hmm. and you and good things will happen absolutely absolutely no it's 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 it, it's it's just awesome to see just like you said and I mean um I feel like I'm gonna have to go and Google this at some point because I'm super curious now. But they said that um, now Gary and his father, who of course we all know that you know Hall of Famer, the Glove, you know, uh, one of the only guards to win Defensive Player of the Year in NBA history. We're gonna get on that a little bit later as well. But uh, now Gary Payton the second and his father are one of I think said only five or six father son duos to both have rings in the NBA now. Yeah, and, and, you know, without further ado, let's just go ahead and get right into it. Everybody's watched the game by now. Uh, I will give James his props. He predicted Warriors in six, and yes, here we sir. are. Yes, I've been, look, I've been telling everybody. I've been telling everybody. I, I didn't have one. I just had it sitting on the shelf. If y'all could look on Amazon and find a nice mahogany base for a crystal ball, I could use one. I mean, because it kind of rolls all over the place. It's kind of annoying. But yeah, psychic life. I tried to tell you guys, look, I will say it over and over again. My opinion on this series, of course, if you know me, you know how hardcore of a Laker fan I am, have been for, like I said, about 25 years at this point. Um, But that in no way had anything to do with my opinion on this series. I need to make sure I throw that out there. What this came down to was simply inexperience. Uh, It's just inexperience. You know, the moment got big, people shied away, and that was that. But that's what I figured was going to happen going in. It's not that Boston doesn't have the talent. I just still felt like the talent wasn't ready. And, I mean, they'll they'll be back, but we'll, we'll touch on that as well. But, I mean, kudos to Boston for putting up the fight. Yeah, absolutely. Golden State comes out tonight. They win the game 103 to 90. Uh, Steph Curry with 34 points, seven rebounds, seven assists, uh, shot 12 of 21 from the floor, six of 11 from three. And he is named the Bill Russell NBA Finals MVP for the first time in his career, uh, leading Golden State to victory tonight. Um, you know, other guys stepped up big in this game. Andrew Wiggins had 18 points, six rebounds, five assists, four steals, and three blocks. Maple Jordan doing his thing. And Jordan Poole uh, came out in the first half. It was the pool party. 11 points in nine and a half minutes. Ends up with 15 points in 18 minutes. And Draymond Green uh, stepped up. Best game of the series. Uh, he they don't win tonight without him. He played he played extremely well. Twelve points, twelve rebounds, eight assists, two blocks, and he was plus sixteen in his minutes on the court. Man, uh, Draymond really really stepped up, hit some threes, uh, flexed to the crowd a few times. It was awesome to see him affect the game offensively, defensively. He had complete control over everything, and um, you know they Golden State approached this game like a championship team. Everybody knew 
you know, everybody thought, okay, well, Boston's going to hit them first. They're at home. They're going to come out juiced. And they did. I mean, it was 14-2 early. And, you know, it looked like Golden State was kind of on their heels, but they stayed with it. It's a game of runs. And, boy, did they come with one. I mean, they – I mean, what, 21-0 run in the first half, closed the first half on a 52-25 to run to take a 15-point lead by halftime. And, and when I say experience and depth, will work wonders the scariest thing to think about was a good portion of that 21 nothing run for golden state steph was on the bench steph wasn't even playing so that goes right back to what we've been talking about all along our biggest issue with boston's rotation was that there really wasn't one and today well tonight rather you saw that uh udoka for you know for other reasons, he did start to switch things up a little bit. Um, we we saw Derek White. We saw Peyton Pritchard towards the end of the first quarter, which I feel not necessarily for Derek White, but that is the earliest that we've seen a Peyton Pritchard in, in, in this round, at least. So little things were changed around, but unfortunately, just too little too late. And I, um, it, it I, like I said, it, it just felt like, once once the wind was taken out of Boston sails and when the wind was taken out was obviously with that 21 nothing run um e- even before then i mean it was 11 nothing at the end of the first quarter you know they 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 closed golden state closed out the first quarter on an 11-0 run i think that the the moment the exhaustion you could already see that it was starting to catch up and even though boston did come with a solid run to bring that back. I mean, they, they got the game back to single digits. So again, kudos, but I think that the moment itself combined with everything that Boston had to do to get back into the game, it, it just took them out and it was just too much for them. Yeah. And, 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 and once again, I mean, they just, they just shot themselves in the foot constantly. I mean, it didn't even matter. I mean, they, they shot the ball better than they did maybe last game. Uh, they had 27 assists tonight, but they had 22 turnovers. And I mean, we talked about it last game. You know, they had 18 turnovers. So you're talking 40 turnovers in the last two games by a team that's in the NBA finals. Like that just goes to show like guys got tight. A lot of guys that, that haven't been in that moment, even their most experienced players, Al Horford, most experienced guy on their team. It's his first NBA finals. Uh, kudos to him by the way he had a double double tonight and really like kept help keep Boston in that game for long stretches in the second half him and Jalen Brown really stepped up and and kind of were the lifeblood for the Celtics in this game but uh, eight you know 22 turnovers you know on your home floor you know it's, it's just not it's just not a recipe for success man and they just had so many turnovers that were live ball deals where there were steals and that led straight to layups. I think Boston Boston ended up giving up, I think, 27 points off those 22 turnovers. And, you know, that that is that is going to be the kiss of death most nights when when you're talking NBA basketball, any level, really. I mean, they got beat on the bench as well. I know you talked about Boston's rotation or lack thereof. 21 to five, you know, off the bench. I mean, look at Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole had 15 points. Yeah, no, he, he tripled Boston's output. Yeah, no surprise at all. And and another thing that played a big role early on, which 
actually had me thinking that Boston might have had some staying power was it, it seemed like the referees were falling for quite a bit of theatrics in this game. Um, in, in the in the first quarter, specifically, Marcus Smart drew two fouls, one one on Steph, one on Clay. And it, it's funny, you go back and of course, you know, we we have the privilege of seeing replays. But the the cell was everything. And I think it was, um, I can't remember if it was Mark Jackson or if it was Van Gundy, but one of them made the remark, you know, um, there's definitely contact on these plays, but that contact gets ignored if Marcus Smart doesn't hit the floor. So it's, of course, you know, basketball is so funny that basketball tends to get looked at or, you know, someone that doesn't play it will try to categorize it as a non-contact sport get 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 on the court and then say that at the end of a game these guys are getting hit it's a natural thing but one like i said one thing that was big early on was that marcus smart was selling boston into picking up some very very for lack of a better smart fouls early on uh clay picked up his first two fouls in under three minutes so it it that's what had me thinking that boston might have something going if you can get Golden State in foul trouble, of course, naturally, that's going to change how a team is going to play you defensively. You're going to be able to open up certain looks. You might be able to run certain things certain ways. So I thought initially that was going to be Boston's saving grace was that they were being very smart about drawing people into fouls. Yeah, and I mean, that that definitely plays into their hands. I mean, as, as a superior defensive team, in the league. I mean, they, they play physical, but you know, they're, they're very smart as far as if you try to, if you try to respond to their physicality with physicality of your own, uh, you're going to kind of get baited into playing their game. And, and, you know, I thought, you know, they, like you said, they kind of got, got that advantage early, but I feel like golden state did a good job of adjusting. I feel like they just kind of settled in and understood that, you know, it's going to be a physical game they may not get the benefit of some of those whistles. And I thought they, they weathered that storm pretty well. I thought, you know, especially toward as the game went on, it felt like golden state definitely like imposed themselves more. And it felt like the Celtics in a way, even though they kept coming, I feel like they didn't have the same level of intensity. Once golden state kind of settled in with their own physicality, you know, they got to more loose balls. They, they, just ripped the ball away from them a few times and turned it into points. So um, it, it was, it was key that golden state not only responded from an offensive standpoint, but from a defense and physicality disposition standpoint as well, like their, their, their ability to respond at different moments in this game was, was very key for them to be able to put the finishing touches on, on this championship tonight. With the, with, with the way that this league is going, the way that it's been for quite some time, and even if you just look at this series as a microcosm, uh, something that has to be pointed out is naturally, you know, with, with things being, you know, driven by analytics and, you know, the change with the shot clock a few years ago, resetting to 14 instead of 24, increased possessions in games and games and all of that, we knew that we were going to be in for something a little more high scoring. Um, it, it's no surprise to see that there was not a single game in this series that was decided by the winner scoring fewer than 100. But what I feel needs to be pointed out, and I, I feel like this is where I, this, this 
got me to the point where I truly believed that Boston was out of the water. Um, this was the second game in this series that they were held to fewer than 40 and a half. Uh, it, it, they, what was that? I think game four when they only had 39, was that game three or four that we were watching? I, I, I can't remember for sure. It was game four. Game, was game four. four. Okay. So yeah, game, game four, they're held. It was 51 49 at the half. I mean, you, you look at this one, it was 54 39 at the half. So the fact that Boston was held to only 39 in the first half for the second time in this series combined with the second, the first, you know, slash second quarter run. And the fact that Steph was starting to show us that you better go ahead and forget what happened to me because I'm back and I'm going to remind you who I am. I I just, it, that to me was the writing on the wall for Boston and Jeff, I know Jeff Van Gundy said during, I think it was during the, it was either during the second quarter or right before the third, he made a really good point. And again, it goes back to the way that this league is, is going right now, the way that, that players and teams run their offense. He said in a league where so many teams pride themselves on their offense, as soon as you come out here and you miss a few shots, as soon as you come out here and, you know, the backdoor screens and this, that aren't working, as soon as your shots stop falling, if a team is not ready for the moment, that is the kiss of death. He's like, even if a team is strong defensively, if the ball's not dropping, a lot of teams fold in that moment. And I think that was a big part of what sealed it for Boston tonight. Absolutely. And, and, and a big reason that's a brilliant point that Jeff made. I mean, when you look at most young teams and you look at, you know, like you said, this moment, just look at the two rosters. I mean, Golden State has a team, even though they have a lot of guys that whose calling card is offense. There was a lot of guys on that team that also played, you know, excellent defense. Draymond Green played excellent defense. Andrew Wiggins was phenomenal defensively. Uh, Steph Curry, even though people try to bag on him and say he doesn't play defense, that dude, that dude was guarding Al Horford. That dude was all over the court. He was getting, he was getting his hands, he was getting his hands in there. He was getting, getting strips. Uh, at one point, he got the stop on Horford because Horford had his. We're talking six, six ten against six two, and he made Horford pass out. What that could have been like a jump hook or maybe even a dunk, and got him to give the ball up, like. Golden State's known for offense, but their defense, let's not kid ourselves, their defense is elite, and it has been throughout this whole run. It, it's, it's, and this is just a quick point, it, it's very much worth mentioning, specifically in this game tonight. If you were an outsider that didn't follow basketball to the extent that we do, you could watch this 48 minutes tonight. We could tell you that the defensive player of the year was in this game tonight. And I could pay, I could pay you money and you probably wouldn't have been able to tell me who it was. And, and, and that, that's what, that's what elite level offense can do to elite level defense at this level in, especially in this era, because the offense in this era is still, it's allowed to kind of dictate the game. I think back then when it was more physical, you could hand check it allowed the defense to be able to dictate what the offense can do a little bit easier 
you know, eventually, you know, good offensive is going to win out most of the time. It's just, right. you know, when the defense can dictate what the offense is able to do, that's when you get the lower scoring games. And, and the reason that they, you know, went with the rule changes to begin with. So elite offense is still going to beat elite level defense uh, most times, especially when the game is kind of catered more to the offense. But I mean, this was just, guys putting their head down going by people i mean steph curry was getting past whoever he was getting separation he was getting downhill and making plays and i mean that was everybody that, i mean that was that was wiggins that was jordan Poole. i mean that was that was pretty much everybody on their team that was able to get dribble drive penetration and get by guys in green bro and another one while while we're talking about getting by my goodness, I, I, I wish there was a way that we could send all of y'all some video footage. Did you catch that second quarter pass from just inside the logo, top of the key from Draymond to Clay? When um when, <laughs> when he when he caught oh, Clay yeah. on the cut man, and, yo, as soon look, I, I'm I'm sitting there watching the game. I'm uh, and like I I turned to my wife and she was watching the game with me, and as soon as Draymond connected on that pass as soon as it landed in clay's hands i got up and went and grabbed some water i was like this is a wrap i was like as soon as you're breaking down boston's defense on that level it, it, there's only so much more you can do i mean draymond just has an eye for this game that is unreal like i don't know how many other guys in this league outside of you know maybe like a Jokic, a luka like they're there i don't know how many other guys can make that pass on the fly like it, it the defense had started to set up it's not like it was a fast break the the defense was set clay's man is here split second he blinks and and that's all it takes because just like you said earlier draymond played such a draymond game tonight he was only what two assists shy of a triple double and that's that just goes to show you his value to this team like so so many viewers so many people may think that if you're not averaging 20 a night or if you're not putting people on posters or you're not doing all of those things that your value is somehow diminished but because of what Draymond does for this team I'm going to argue the complete opposite. The things that Draymond does for this team, it exponentially increases his value. This team does not win this ring. Did he, did he have a stellar series? Maybe not. But when it mattered, Draymond came in and did Draymond things. And that was tremendous going towards the win for Golden State tonight. Absolutely, man. His... His, his fingerprints were all over this game on both ends. And if you notice, I mean, the dude was locked in. There was some talking to the refs, but not like there wasn't a whole lot of complaining. It was him. They were, they were in championship mode. And, I mean, the team goes as he goes. He, he makes all those guys better. Like, he allows Steph to be Steph. He allows Clay to be Clay. Like, his ability to be a point forward and a facilitator from the power forward position allows that team the ability to to go off the way they do i mean that that play i mean that that play is is a pet play that they've ran for years i mean that 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 high post split and then just a gorgeous back cut by clay i mean you're thinking the ball's going to the top 
and then Clay just rolls to the rim. And I mean, it was, oh man, like I'm with you on that one, man. I, I, I had to actually like pause it and rewind it a few times. Like I was like, yo, what a pass, man. What a pass. And man, it is, it, it when, when Golden State's rolling the way they're rolling, man, it's a beautiful thing to watch because it's not just Steph. Like, Steph, you know, he had his moment in the second half where he really put the game to bed. But, I mean, it was Jordan Poole. It was, it was Draymond. It was those guys just, just playing really well together. And Andrew Wiggins is, is kind of – he takes that team, that particular group of players to another level just because he buys in on everything that they do. I mean – he did everything. He rebounded, he passed, he got his hands on loose ball. He blocked a lot of shots. He got out in transition. Like he, his ability to just fly around and do everything combined with Draymond's ability to control the action. Like those are two players that made this run particularly special for that group. Couldn't agree more. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's so beautiful to see the team come together the way that they did I mean everybody throughout this series has had that moment where they kind of left us with question marks I mean you know we we saw the underwhelming game from Steph I mean Clay is still working his way back from you know we talked about it before two devastating injuries you're dealing with an ACL tear an Achilles tear you know like I said before um, a lot of guys you catch injuries like that two guys your career is over and now after sitting after being out for you know two years dude's a champion again it, it just speaks to the pedigree of the organization it speaks to the camaraderie that these guys share I mean if you listen to uh post-game speeches one of the main things that Clay wanted to keep driving home is that I would not have made it back if it wasn't for my brother's and it wasn't for guys like Steph and Dre. Like it's the the relationship that these guys share is is so much deeper than the game, and that translates to what happens on the court. Like I mentioned it to you earlier. Um, you know, we were talking about you know those guys getting up in age and everything, and um, what that's going to mean for them. Of course, we'll get into more of that later, but. Um, it, it's the, the big thing that we took from that conversation is chemistry can trump a lot of things. Um, you know, you, we, we saw, we even saw it back in San Antonio. Uh, I mean, chemistry can trump a lot of shortcomings. And in this case, like I said, poor shooting nights, you know, poor defensive nights, the ball's not moving like it should. We're dealing with a lot of turnovers, this, that, whatever. In the end, chemistry played a huge part. And if you look at those two benches, it's obvious where the majority of that was. Yeah. And chemistry makes up for a lot of other deficiencies. Chemistry can make up for being an older team. Uh, look at, look at uh, prime example. You said San Antonio, like look at, look at the team uh, in 2011 with Dallas, they beat Miami because it, not only were they an older group, but all those dudes bought in and they believed. There was a lot of people that were hungry, that wanted to win, that had been on teams that were good enough to get there maybe or get close, but never won. And all those dudes bought in to the philosophy that, hey, like we're all in together. Like we, we win together. Golden State has been that way for a long time. And 
all those dudes came in together. You don't, you don't win. You don't make the finals six times in eight years by accident. You don't do that if you're not a team that plays with unbelievable chemistry and, and, and togetherness. Like you don't win four titles in six appearances if you don't have good chemistry, especially with a team that still has its core intact. Like, like you look at Boston. I mean, Boston had really good chemistry, but at the end of the day, there was a talent gap between the two teams. Like top to bottom, I mean, you could make the argument that this year's Golden State team might be like the least talented of their four title teams in a way, but you also have guys that even though it's been a different team each time, you still had the same core, but you've also had different guys step up. Like the first title was what Harrison Barnes and Andrew Bogut and David Lee and like all those guys. Right. And then you get and then, to this and then, team. And, and then of course we got to mention the goat Iguodala, you know, and, and Andre Iguodala. Exactly. Like you look at this year's team. I mean, I- Iggy was still there, but you got like a new wave of guys. You got, you get guys like Gary Payton, you get guys like Jordan Poole, Damn, like those dudes, like their ability to get on this stage and not even be phased. I mean, Jordan Poole had his moments just in this game where his shot making for stretches really kind of turned it, you know, Golden State's way in this game. But you also saw some of his shortcomings come out kind of in the second half when Boston started making that run. They were literally targeting Jordan Poole every time down. And he was, he he couldn't guard a bank with a machine gun. He was struggling. Everybody knows Jordan Poole ain't out there to play defense. Like he, he's out there to get buckets. And when he's going well, that's good. But sometimes like his, his him, him kind of leaning on his shot making kind of turns him into a target because they know he can't, he can't really guard guys for extended periods and they were going right at him. And so uh, I think he'll probably take this as a challenge to improve defensively as well. Cause I mean, everybody thought, Oh, you can go at Steph. Steph put on like what? 15 pounds of muscle and you could tell right. the difference in his game. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's that going back to one of our conversations again earlier. I mean, it's the, the adversity is going to come. Setbacks are going to come. Are you going to shy away or are you going to step up? Is that going to bring out the dog in you? And I mean, you, you said it perfectly, you know, Steph put on the muscle. I mean, Clay had to fight back from, you know, devastating injuries that uh, we, we had, you know, like you said, Jordan Poole is, is probably going to take this as a challenge moving forward. Cause he's already shown us he's that kind of guy. I mean, even, uh, even just in this postseason alone, I mean, you go back to a, a, the second round game two um, against Memphis when when the team lost uh when the team lost Gary Payton you know the, with with the elbow injury the Dylan Brooks foul um uh even Steve Curry even said himself he was like I didn't think he was coming back and next thing you know you get stories out of their camp that this dude is at practice with his arm in a sling running sprints just so that he could stay ready that that is where the winners are made that the, the problems are going to come. There has not been a single championship team in the history of this league that has not had to deal with some sort of setback at some point. It's all about how you bounce back. And Golden State showed us plain and clear that 
they were ready for the moment. And, and it all goes back to that experience. But it also, like you said, goes to buying in. I mean, you you have your vets in, you know, Steph, Dre, Clay, you got Iggy and all those guys. And, and shout out to Iggy because, I mean, you know, I'll say shout out to Iggy. First off, shout out to Steve Kerr for actually making sure that he got a little bit of time, you know, during the garbage minutes i thought that was cool just in case he does decide to hang it up i thought it was cool to make sure that he saw the floor at least for a minute but um with iguodala uh that that goes right to the point um iguodala didn't see a lot of time on the floor i mean he was coming back from injury and also just like you said those younger guys are taking up a lot of those minutes and putting in a lot of that work but if you paid close attention We've said it a million times. The winners aren't always on the court. The winning starts in the locker room. The winning starts behind the scenes. And if you notice, you you probably, if you look at the sideline at the right time, you would assume that Iguodala was on the coaching staff. I mean, he's over there every single time a player slips up. You can see the emotion in his face. You can see the irritation in his face. And as soon as they come to the bench, the first thing he does it's not chastising. It's not yelling. He pulls them aside and starts coaching. He, he pulls them aside and starts letting them know, hey, next time do this. You let your man shy off this way. Next time, step over here a little bit. Cut him off early. He's over here helping guys out. And like I said, that is such a huge part of a winning organization is having guys like an Andre Iguodala that are willing to buy in even if your biggest impact doesn't come on the floor. And, and you see that all the time, man. It, it, San Antonio, it was, a, it was a commonplace thing to see Timmy or Manu or Tony there with Pop. They got the clipboard. They're, they're running things in the huddle. Like, those are the best teams, guys that are plugged in, man. Like, having a high IQ guy like Andre Iguodala, a guy who came into this league as kind of like an athletic freak and a guy that, that his versatility is, was his calling card coming into the, coming into the league. It's the reason that he's hung around so long, but you don't hang around as long as Andre Godala has. If you're not showing what he's shown in this series from the bench, pulling guys aside, like Andrew Wiggins, that, that a guy who, you know, may have been looked at unfairly as a guy that may have may have felt like he was uh, too cool for school and things like that, coming from a team that hadn't won anything, you know, and, and he's pulling guys aside, putting them in the right spot. Like guys like Iguodala are coaches dreams, man. I, I've, I've talked to tons of coaches in, in my career and having guys that play for one another, not just with each other, for one another, like, that's that's when you see guys like Iguodala show their genius. Guys that you know have put the have put their own personal desires, you know, to the side in in favor of doing whatever it takes to win. And and his ability to impact the game that way is is crucial. Like his his leadership on that team. We talk about Dre. We talk about Steph. Iggy coming back to that team was key because it stabilizes that second unit and it keeps some of the younger guys plugged in that are just getting a taste of this. Like Andrew Wiggins hadn't played on teams like this before. So Iggy's impact on guys like that, like 
on Jordan Poole, on Gary Payton. Like he was one of the main guys. Like when when Gary Payton was having having those weird defensive lapses in this game, boneheaded fouls, things like that. When when Boston was starting to make a run, first guy you see is Iguodala. Like, hey man, like like be solid. Like he was making a lot of plays that young dudes, a lot of mistakes that young dudes make, and Iguodala was right there to correct him and, and put him in the right direction. You need guys like that if you're going to win the championship, and it's no surprise that he's been a part of all four of those championship teams. Definitely, man. Definitely. Um, so I, <laughs> I feel like I need to point out before I move on, this is, this is something that totally threw me and I might be late to the party, but yeah, every now and then, you know, it's Boston and I don't care. Um, so we were, so, so we're sitting here watching the game. I think it was during the second quarter. Maybe I think Boston had just called a timeout, but um that you know everybody's over to the sideline I look over and I'm sure you probably knew this Shane I mean you you do tend to be up a little better on you know on on what you know bench moves and front office and this and that um it totally blew my mind when I looked over at the Boston bench and saw Damon Stoudemire I I had no idea I, I had no idea that this man was on their coaching staff so I'm looking and and I'm like wait dude looks dude looks crazy familiar i'm like i know that's not damon stoudemire so i immediately had to go and google it and sure enough he's been there since july of last year i was blown i <laughs> i was just I, I didn't i didn't know what was happening um another another thing i wanted to point out it's not even so much related to strategy or anything in the game but we 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 talk about this all the time just another little funny moment that i noticed tonight i want to go back there there was a play in the second quarter um kevon looney he he comes up yeah in i believe it was out of a set but at one point kevon looney comes up grabs a board and he pretty much tried to tear the rim off the backboard like he goes up and he he was out for blood but the funniest thing i noticed and i've mentioned this to you before i think this might have been the first time that i've seen someone go up for a putback or a dunk or anything like that with so much aggression miss it and the ref doesn't blow the whistle i feel like that's one of the plays in a basketball game that gets bailed out so often is the assumption that a missed dunk is always because of defensive contact and that that was mind-blowing to me that 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 happened and because I, I think at the time there were at least three or four celtics around it and no whistle i, I thought that was hilarious yeah that 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 play i i thought i thought he was about to catch a couple bodies on that play like i thought I thought Looney yes, was about sir. to fly in and and destroy people's world on that one, but like, you man. Yeah. like you said, man, like him, him that that showed what kind of time that Golden State was on. Like him, Wiggins, like those dudes were going to the rim, and like, and and another thing we talked about, like injuries, right? Like we talked about. Uh, Steph with his hand and then his his ankles and we talked about Clay with his his career threatening injuries. One guy that that has been kind of forgotten in that shuffle is Kevon Mooney. 
I mean, this is a guy, I think he had what? He had surgery on both hips. And I mean, that dude, they don't make it to the finals without Kevon Looney. And it felt it like, you know, it's weird when it felt like Kevon Looney wasn't even on the roster. Like, it was like they won the first title, Looney's there. And then it's like he kind of disappears for a while. It's like he was he was on the team, but he wasn't like a high minute guy or whatever. But like this year, he kind of reemerged as a difference maker on that team. And and you see what what he can do when he's healthy. And to this series, Dallas, like that dude was awesome. Like Kevon Looney, his impact can't be can't be you know overstated i mean he he really he was a difference maker it, it wasn't in it wasn't in statistical exploits it was his effort and his energy and him throwing his weight around and and being like that high energy guy that was also like a defensive anchor you know even though he was you know coming in off the bench like his impact was, was great and um you know it, it just it just goes to show like the difference between the two teams. Like they had multiple guys on Golden State that could come in off the bench and be different difference makers in some way. Uh, Boston didn't really have anybody outside of Derek White in one of the games that really came in the game and changed it for the better. They And a lot of times they didn't even get the amount of time. I mean, Grant Williams was out there. Derek White was out there. But then Peyton Pritchard doesn't play. I mean, we talked about him him after last game. Like, their their lack of bench really hurt them in this series and they're in not only that it was their lack of experience it was their lack of killer instinct at times like everything that you would you would pin on a young team in a big spot Boston was guilty of and it's a shame that it had to happen that way for them but at the same time like this is these are the growing pains you get when say you kind of overachieve and get to the finals. Like everybody's been there. LeBron's first team in Cleveland was swept. Like you get embarrassed, but you know, it's important that guys accept the challenge. Look at, look at certain people that, that go through their, their whole, their kind of their, their playoff origin story. Like, you know, Magic Johnson was terrible in, in the finals. They called him tragic magic. And now he's, he's, he's the greatest point guard of all time. Like you talk about guys that have, have had their teeth kicked in and they've had to come back. Like all the playoff failures that guys like Dirk had to deal with. Like by the time you get to 2011, like, yeah, he had first round exits. He won MVP and was a first round exit. Like all those things made him come back with something new. And that leads me to the next thing I want to talk about. And that's number zero in Boston. Like Mm. Jason Tatum, you know, he wore the Kobe armband for game seven against Miami. But, you know, the whole text message deal and all that. And Kobe done blocked that number. Yeah, I, I, I think I think Kobe done you know, went ahead and, and, and put him on D and D. Like, I, I don't, I don't think Kobe's trying to hear that right now. Like Kobe he, said, he's Kobe, probably giving him that, that death stare from the side right now. Kobe said, Kobe said new phone. Who this? Exactly. New phone. Who this? And Jason Tatum comes out. I mean, he scored, he scored what seven points in the first quarter, but he ends with 13 on the night. 
I think he had 11 of those 13 in the first half. He shot six of 18 from the floor, um, seven assists, but he had five turnovers, three steals. Like Jason Tatum had multiple opportunities in this series to put his stamp on it and, and show why he was first team all NBA. He only had one game really where, you know, he had a good game. I mean, it was, it was game, it was game five. I mean, he, he came out, he had, I think he had 27 in that game, but you know, he, he didn't, he didn't put his stamp on it in the fourth. He didn't, he didn't impose his will on the game. And, you know, he comes out tonight. I mean, he wasn't efficient, shot 33% from the floor. Like those performance performances like tonight, you got to use that as motivation. Like you, you can't, if you want to be known as that, that killer and that elite guy, like he's got to come back with like some like noticeable improvement because, you know, before this season, everybody said like, who's, who's their, who's their guy? Is it Tatum or is it Jalen Brown? And we were talking about this before we came on the pod, like Jalen Brown had 34.7 rebounds. Like for what Jason, Jason Tatum is the more talented of the two guys. But I think the difference between them is Jalen Brown has more of a killer instinct and mentality, whereas Tatum is more well-rounded, but doesn't have the same like dog mentality. I think if you could combine the two players, like you have like a max guy and an impact guy. Now we look, we, we were, we were told from the first time that we played on any sort of organized team one of the cliche phrases that you later find out is, I mean, it, it holds so much truth. There are certain things that you can't coach on a basketball court. You can't coach size. You can't coach heart. You know, you can't make a player want it. I can give you all the reasons in the world why you should, but I can't make you want it. And that to me, like, that that even goes back to the conversation on our last episode where we talked about, you know, the hypothetical finals MVP going the other way. And we were talking about who would take it. Tatum to me was never in that conversation. And 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 a big reason for yeah, that. Right. And, and and a big reason for that is because of what you just said. To me, when you stack them side by side, talent alone. I'm taking Jason Tatum all day. However, it it's it's a matter of when do you want to bring out that dog? And I mean, the reason that we saw the consistency that we saw from Jalen Brown is simply because Jalen, in my opinion, wanted it more. He he was there for the series. I mean, Jalen, Jalen, Jalen was there for the fight and I feel like Jason was there for the moment and I and I think there's a very big difference between the two yeah and and you know Tatum Tatum had games in the series where he comes out and, and plays well or he comes out and doesn't it's like a it's a slow start and then he gets warm like I think was it last game where he went he, he played a seven minute spurt in the first quarter and didn't take a shot yeah i think, I think it that, was last game I, I believe so oh and i want to throw this in there too um 
yeah, I'm sure you've seen it by now. Fans, if you're listening, I'm sure you've probably seen it by now as well. Um, first player in NBA history with over 100 turnovers in a playoff. I mean, it to me, that 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 again goes so much deeper than than simple talent. Talent does not prepare you to hold on to the ball. That's mindset. That's mentality. That is being mentally prepared for the game and for the moment. And that that right there is a prime example of showing us that one of them was more prepared than the other. Yep. And 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 that's the difference between a guy like Kobe and then like, you know, a Jason Tatum. Like when you when you when you look at guys like look at look at Carl Anthony Towns, right? Super talented player. But then you look at Joel Embiid. Like right. Joel Embiid is a man. Like Carl Anthony Towns likes to bark a little bit, but everybody like agrees. Like they're just looking at him like, nah, you ain't like that. Right. Biggest, and biggest, biggest chihuahua I've ever seen. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and and that's the thing. It's like with Tatum, like you could tell he was thinking and that he was tight. And if you're thinking, you're not playing. It's like, you know, it like I can speak to it in my own playing experience. Like when you're thinking, you're not going to play well ever. Like I can I can mention a bunch of times where I'm like, man, I'm thinking about everything. And, and it, it, it probably was like some of the worst basketball I've ever played in my life. Like he, he was tight and he was thinking there were plenty of times where he could have taken the shot and then he hesitates and then he gives the ball up. It's like, yeah, when you like how many times you see Kobe pass up a shot, how many times you see him like second guess himself on the court? There's a certain confidence in knowing like, hey, I'm that guy and I'm willing to live with the result. Like people, oh, Kobe didn't pass. It's like, well, Kobe was also like knowing he was about to shoot it too. Do you, there's not too many games where you can say Kobe had the game winning shot and he passed it up. You know, like there's not too many Kobe Bryant game winning assists. I'm going to just put it that way. Like Jason Tatum. <laughs> Shout out to Ron Artest, by the way. Kobe passed me the ball. <laughs> like when, like, with Jason Tatum, he he can't he can't play in his head. He's got to play free, and he's got to be willing to live with the result. That's what separates the good players from the great ones. Is that's what separates just an okay player from somebody that that's willing to take that next step. Like you have to be willing to go for it and be able to live with the result. And there were so many times where he he was passing up things. He wasn't being aggressive or you know, maybe he just, he just didn't maybe take shots that he can make. Like he's, he's gotta, he's gotta basically overall, overall just add to the mindset and understand like, look, I'm here for a reason. I'm, I'm, I'm a first team all NBA performer and I need to play like it. Like, cause the team's going to follow your lead. And I mean, think about it. He's their first team all NBA, right? Like they're going to follow his lead. Like they're going to follow guys like Marcus Smart, but both of those dudes were having their moments where they were tight and they were second guessing and the whole team played tight. You don't turn the ball over 40 times over a two game stretch. If you're not tight and you're not thinking and you're not confident and Jason Tatum has defined that within himself. Cause I mean, 
look at look at other guys that have been there before. Like look at Al Horford. Like he hadn't played he hadn't played well in the series since game one. You know, he had one game where, you know, he had like nine and nine. It was his most complete game, as James pointed out last pod. But Horford came out and he laid it on the line. Like he had 19 and 14. Like he had plenty of plays late later in this game that played, played that a Boston terrific, in it. Yeah, played a terrific game tonight. He, yeah, and and that confidence is key. Look at look at guys like like Robert Williams. I mean, he had he he had a phenomenal game. And it may not jump off the page at people, but I mean he had 10 points seven rebounds five of those were offensive and he had five blocks the block that's what i was gonna say the blocks though how many guys how many guys today like i mean we don't have any like stat sheets in front of us with it but how many people have have five blocks and five offensive rebounds like that is everywhere and it's not even like no it's not even like the like we were talking about you know like looney's heart and everything like it's not even like Robert Williams blocks were just like tipped away to a teammate. Like this dude put it in the second and third row. Like the aggre- a message, the aggression that he was playing with, he was here. And that that's exactly what I was getting at when we talk about Golden State. It's Robert Williams was out there to prove a point. And again, that goes back to that dog that we're talking about because Robert Williams had to fight back from injury. He's dealing with the knee issues right now. And that he he came to play tonight and and he he looked damn good doing it yeah and and now you have to sit there and you look one team just won the championship and the other team was the runner up and now you have to ask yourself like what's next for boston like where do you go do you revisit can we win a championship with jason tatum as our guy is Jalen Brown the guy? Like these are questions that have to be have to be answered. Like I think it could work. I think it could, but there's gonna have to be kind of a coming to Jesus moment for Jason Tatum, where it's like, are you going to carry us, or is this other guy gonna carry the load? Are you a one? Or are you just a complimentary piece? And and like I said, it it's not it's not easy for Boston in that regard because both Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have their awards like Tatum had this year. I think he showed some growth in terms of being able to make plays for others. He made some great passes in many games in this playoff and throughout the season has seven assists tonight. He's probably more of a guy that can set the table for everybody, but he's also the guy that you look to for big scoring games. Whereas Jalen Brown isn't as versatile as far as being a playmaker, but you get it on the defensive end and you get it on the offensive end in terms of attacking and putting your head down and being aggressive. So it's like, like I said, if you could combine those two guys, you would have a phenomenal player, but you have a quandary now because you have a guy like Jason Tatum, first team all NBA, I'm gonna say it again. And you got a guy like Jalen Brown, who maybe not as talented as Tatum, but he's that dude that's going to force teams' hands and, may, and and not bail them out. And Tatum Tatum bailed out the Warriors in a lot of ways by just not, you know, there were so many, he was invisible most of this game. I mean, seven points in the first quarter, he only ended up with 13. It, it's do or die. He took, he took 18 shots, but he had five turnovers, and he only had 
six points after the first quarter. Right. So like, there's so much room for him to have tried to to try to affect this game in a greater way. And it seemed like he was he was content to just kind of fade into the background. And mm-hmm. you can't have that if if you're a guy that's first team All NBA and a guy that wants to be one of the great players in this league. Like you just can't fade like that. And I think that's what he'll learn moving forward. I think he'll be better for this. Hopefully he is. And I think Boston with the right pieces around those guys and maybe tweaking some things with the roster and adding a bench that can complement a a solid starting five. Like that's their next step. Like it's personnel. It's, it's internal growth for Boston probably more so than like, yeah, it's like you can, you can run it back with this team, but there's going to have to be some internal growth and you've got to do something to fill the holes on the bench. And in terms of maybe some point guard play, because I think Marcus Smart is a little out of position. Yeah. He's more, he's more of an off guard that defends and hits threes. He's, he's more of a three and D two than a three and D like one, like he's not a true one, but he can, he, he can, he's serviceable for that team, but nobody's out here trying to acquire Marcus smart to run their team is what I'm saying. No, no knock on Marcus smart, but you get what I'm saying. I absolutely get what you're saying. And I'm going to make a really random comparison here and it's going to come full circle to my opinion on the Boston situation I wasn't fully in on it at the beginning of the season when so many fans were, but I feel like this team, their only saving grace is going to be if you can convince one of these guys to take a backseat to the other. And I think that's where the problem is going to come in because at this point, I mean, they're, they're both fairly early into their careers. I mean, at this point in their careers, who wants to, who wants to officially take that role of second fiddle? If they, if they don't necessarily know that there's a guaranteed payoff for it. I respect that. I understand these guys don't come to the league to say, Hey, I want to be Robin. I, I, I get that. And I, like I said, I respect that, but at the same time, the reason that I personally would be in favor of splitting them is because I feel like you're never going to see either one of their true potential until that happens. And I liken that a lot to what we saw, you know, when it came to things splitting up in Oklahoma City 10 years ago. Um, we, we saw, we had Kevin Durant, we had Russell Westbrook, we had James Harden, all of those guys we saw on that roster. And we like, we're like, they're all definitely talented players, but it happened to work out for each one of them. We did not see any of their true potential until they were away from each other because all of those guys had the potential to be alpha dogs. You can't have three of them on one roster. So, I mean, even, even going to, you know, even it's a whole other time, day and story, but even looking at Westbrook now, that's part of the struggle in LA is that that alpha dog mentality is still there. And you've got to learn at this point, you might have to settle for something else. 
again, that, that's, that's an entirely different conversation, but I just use that as a comparison. I think that both Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have the potential to be a leader of a team. And I think that that's a big part of the reason why this project in Boston may not be as successful as the front office or the fans want it to be because both of these guys need the same things to be successful. They need the ball in their hands. Neither one of them, neither one of them is really that guy that's going to sit here and coach somebody else up. And I mean, that's not a knock on either one of them. They're both still young guys. They're, they're learning as they go. Like I said, this is their first finals experience and they're going to grow from this. They're going to learn from this, but I think that their styles of play, what's being expected of them. And even though they won't come out and say it, we can see it in the way that they perform what they're expecting of themselves. I think there's going to be this, this subtle internal clash until Boston decides to do something else about that. Yeah. And, and let's just, Real quick, before we even get to the Golden State side, I mean, we talked about this somewhat briefly. I won't, I won't completely go to the proposed trade I talked about, but <laughs> I feel like if you were looking at guys, I feel like if they were going to trade one of those pieces, it would have to be Jason Tatum. There's something I, I feel like Jason Tatum would be the, the more attractive option just because of the different things he can do and the potential he has. I feel like Jalen Brown kind of there's a lot of Jimmy Butler to me in Jalen Brown. Like, I, I, yeah, I, I absolutely love that comparison. And because I mean, if you think about it, Jimmy Butler was that kind of guy where we all knew that the talent was there. But nobody ever looked at Jimmy Butler and saw a leader. And again, I feel like a lot of that is not Jimmy's fault because once he was in the right situation, Miami is in the finals. So I think that, and I 100% agree with you for a number of reasons. I think that if you're going to make a move, Jason Tatum is the one that has to be shipped out. Uh, reason number one, like you said, I mean, Across the board, if you just look at pure talent, I feel like it it more naturally comes his way. Um, and because of that, we know the one thing that he's missing is that that dog mentality, that you know, that takeover spirit. I think that going and putting him in a different situation where he doesn't necessarily see somebody else to lean on is going to force him to develop that. And yeah. and, and on the flip side of that. Another reason that not even to say I would be willing to ship him, but I'd be more willing to keep Jalen Brown is the fact that, and, and I mentioned this to you before, Jalen might be slightly less capable right now. And again, it's early in their careers. He might be a little more deficient right now when it comes to certain areas of his game, but those can be taught. We, we talked about that already. Those things can be taught. But if you come in here every day and you want this, it's that much easier. And I think if you look at the two of them, Jalen is the one that is going to sit there 
early mornings, late nights. He's going to be in here, you know, as many hours as it takes a day. He, I think that he's going to be the one that's going to put in a little bit more to get where he wants to be. And even if that ends up with him not necessarily being that number one guy on a team, if that's your number two with that kind of mentality, the league better watch out. And, and that, you know, I won't say anything, but that totally fits also, I believe, into that proposed, that proposed trade that you were talking about. So I'm going to just go ahead and say it. Say it. So uh, Tatum and whoever you need to throw into that for Dame, who says no? Dame Dollar. Look, I, the, on, the only reason I'm going to say no y'all know why is because i'm a laker fan and outside of la i do have a habit there are certain teams that i do like to watch but it's usually because of like certain players so i'll just go out on record i mean i i'm a i'm a laker fan through and through but two players in the league right now that i absolutely love to watch are john morant in memphis and Damian Lillard in Portland. For that reason alone, Lord, I don't want to see Dame and I don't want to see Dame in green. Don't, don't, don't. Can we find <laughs> something else? Can can we possibly just like clone him? Look, it's perfect. We clone him and we call him same Lillard. It, it, it's perfect. It it writes itself. But the, don't. It it sounds amazing to me in theory. I 100% agree with you, but please don't make Dame a Celtic, please. I don't, I don't think I don't think same dollar would sell as many t-shirts, but I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying I don't know if same dollar is, is catchy. I don't know if that rolls right off the tongue. It, well then you well, then you look, flip it and just call them counterfeit. Oh, oh lord. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 opens up a whole new conversation around Dame. I ain't touching that one at all. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, man. Like I, I one more thing on on the Tatum Jalen Brown thing. I think in terms of player comp, right? We already compared Jimmy Butler and Jalen Brown. I think that's a, I think that's an app comparison. A guy I look at when I look at Jason Tatum, and a lot of people like I think miscompare when it comes to him. If I don't know if miscompare is a word, it sounds good though. Um, it's your birthday. Everything is a word today if you say so. Damn straight. So one comp, like everybody says, oh well, like I saw, I saw that that you might have saw this too. It was the one where they roasted. Uh, it's the one where they roasted Zion. <laughs> where they said he was like, oh Lord, which one? The, the Greg Oden comp when they had oh, the face to face thing. Yeah. And so yeah. I think the one for Jason Tatum was KD, right? I believe it was. I believe and it was. I wholeheartedly wait, 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 wait. disagree. Wait, 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 wait. Was was his was his KD or was his Paul George? I feel like wasn't Paul George in one of those? I don't know. I can't remember. But I feel I feel like Tatum, I feel like Tatum was compared to KD and I disagree with that comparison whole 100%. That's awful. I think I think a more accurate one and mm. we're going to keep it at Duke for this one mm. is Brandon Ingram. I think mm. when I look at Jason Tatum, I think he's in a similar position to Brandon Ingram cuz Brandon Ingram once he I got like to that. New Orleans, we started like to see 
different parts of his game when he was the dude. I like that. But you notice like a lot of times it's the type of guys you put around him. Like Brandon Ingram, those guys, they, they made a run to the play in and all that. Brandon Ingram was there, but that team didn't take off until they got CJ McCollum. Mm. So I think that kind of illuminates what they need in Boston. Honestly, I think like, yeah, Jalen Brown could work, but they need another guy. They need another dynamic guard. They need like, for example, if you put CJ McCollum on this Celtics team, like, we might be seeing game seven if he was yeah. on this team right now. I agree. But I, I, think, I think, yeah, like. No, I, yeah, I, I think that, and, and we kind of touched on it before. I think a big part of the issue there is, like I said, both of these guys are outstanding in their own right, but I don't look at either one of them and see that alpha. I, I think that both of them, I think the Brandon Ingram comparison is spot on. I, I love that for uh for jason tatum and and for that reason i totally agree with you i think that he would absolutely thrive when he's in a different environment and can really focus on himself and same thing with jalen brown but i i don't i i don't see the two like they they got here and there's no knock on that like i said i mean i'm i much respect but i don't see this continuing the way that it's going and i i think that i think that the number one problem is the shallow roster um but if that's number one i think 1a is that these two guys their paths are way too similar for the coexistence to lead to repeat finals appearances there's some overlap i mean it's it's kind of this it's kind of a similar i mean granted there were some there were some there were some issues between dame and cj right like they were they would win and they had great offensive teams but the problem with portland was they were terrible defensively and that was the main thing it's like could can you win with two small guards in your backcourt and if you really and if you really think about it they are very similar in style like you said, and, two, yeah, two exactly. smaller, two smaller, car, two smaller guards, and they're both they're both shot chasers. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, not you. You can't really say that one of them is more comfortable than the other playing either on the ball or off. I, I feel like they're both so much alike. Yeah, and, and and I think that's where the problem lies. In it's like there's there's a lot there was a lot of overlap between Dame and CJ. Like yeah, like Dame was the kind of the long range guy. I think. CJ was more of a dynamic scorer, I'd say. Like, yeah, Dame can score, but I feel like CJ was kind of like a three-level guy. And Dame doesn't really get to the cup like that. He's more of like a pull-up guy. But there was overlap in that they were both offensive guys that weren't guys that were stoppers defensively. They had to make a change. And that overlap is kind of what's happening between Tatum and um you know Tatum and and Brown is that you have both of the guys want to be number one scorers but the way they do it is somewhat similar I feel like they kind of step on each other's toes because Jalen Brown wants to he's kind of more the mid-range guy put his head down get to the cup 
that kind of thing. Tatum is more of a pull-up guy. He kind of drives when he has more of a lane. And you could see both of them doing that, but it's like it's like if one person's doing it, the other person's kind of standing and watching. You know, it's like they're not playing. It's like it's kind of your turn, my turn. And like Tatum, Tatum has his moments where he's pretty good defensively. Same thing with Jalen Brown. I just think their skill sets kind of clash in that one person is a little more well-rounded, but doesn't attack as much. The other guy attacks, attacks, but then, you know, he's not, he's not the, the, the shooter necessarily of Tatum. So it's like, you have, you have certain overlaps in their skill set that I think limits their growth. I think if you look at Brandon Ingram, he's a guy that can kind of, he can be like that number one guy without necessarily having like that alpha mentality, if that makes sense. Like he's kind of a, he's kind of like, he kind of floats around. Like he can, he can kind of carry it, but like, you're not saying, okay, like you're the dude every night. Like he, he's, he's a good guy to, to have in terms of he can score, but he can do some of some different things. Like, for example, think of like a Rudy Gay, right? Like Rudy Gay could score like nobody's business, but he, he wasn't like a put you put, put the team on his back and just carry everything. I don't think Brandon Ingram's that guy. I think Brandon Ingram's a guy that can, he can, he can masquerade as a number one option, but you got to have guys around him that kind of accentuate what he's good at. I think having a CJ McCollum, another guy that can create a shot, frees him up and Brandon Ingram has gotten better as a playmaker to be able to create for others while also being able to score. I think that's where Tatum, I think that's maybe the next step for him is that they're similar in that being able to score, but also being able to facilitate for others. You just have to have somebody else that doesn't kind of cramp their style or their skill set and clash there. Look, at, at the end of the day, it's very similar to, um, you know, you, you guys will notice we're going to make a ton of wrestling references on this show. We, we might even have to branch out and have some separate, you know, pods about that as well. But when, when it comes to Tatum and Brown, uh, one thing that I think needs to be mentioned, and it, it really goes back to what you just said, Shane, is, you know, one of my all-time favorites, The Rock, said it best know your role and shut your mouth and and I, and I think when it comes down to the two of them again the roles are so similar that it's hard to decide when you should or shouldn't be doing something and in the past if we have duos that work together it's because each of them does something very well but they also understand that the other does something that might either cover up for them or might help, you know, take over something that they might be struggling in a little ways. You think of like uh, uh, an MJ and Scotty. I mean, both were terrific defenders, but Scotty's stronger. So Scotty's able to take, you know, certain defenders that Michael, I mean, or certain offensive players that might be stronger than, you know, MJ's used to handling, but at the same time, MJ's faster. So when, so when the ball's in his hands, Scotty is stepping back. Now that's a whole other situation on its own. We won't go that far, but 
you saw that work for them in the 90s. You saw that they understood what each of them did well. They also knew when it was time to back off and let the other one do what they do. You know, my favorite example of this, of course, is going to be Shaq and Kobe. Both guys, and even at the time coming into the fold, Kobe was not an alpha dog. He wanted to be, and he was willing to do the work to get there. But at the same time, he knew when to go and rip a heart out. He also knew when to step back and he was like, I'm going to let Shaq do this. They, they had that back and forth where even though they might've gone at it in the media, that was literally the reason for it. It's because they both knew what the other was capable of. Kobe calls out Shaq because he comes to training camp overweight. They, they go at these things because they know how they're going to benefit the best from each other. And, and that's what makes those duos the strongest is they have to understand how to work together. And even if you look at duos in the league now, a lot of times when they don't work out, it's because of those reasons. It's because either A, they are both exactly alike, or B, they may not be 100% alike, but they're struggling to see where those differences can benefit not only the two of them, but the rest of the team. So I, I think that for that reason, that's why I feel like it's going to be easier to split them up and see how that works out than it would be to, I, I think another way that it could possibly work, but this is a super long shot and there's no way you're going to do this you know, with, with such a uh, shallow roster that you're looking at now, bring in somebody that's going to be the alpha dog and let them play behind them. Impossible. That's the only other way that that would work. And it's, it's not going to happen, not on the coldest day. Yeah. And, and I think just going back to the point you were making about, about Scotty and, and Michael, their, their overlaps were the good overlaps. And what I mean by that is both of them are arguably the best defensive players ever at their position. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to have overlap, I want defensive overlap. Mm -hmm. Ain't nobody complaining about, oh, I get the number one assignment. You get so-and-so. Ain't nobody complaining <laughs> about who they get to guard every night. Like fight, Fighting, fighting about who's going to guard Tony. Exactly. Like, think about it they helped each other because their overlap was defensively. If there was somebody because six, eight and two twenty five is better than six, six and two fifteen, And Scotty could go out there and guard the other team's best player. And a lot of nights Mike could get the night off. He could probably guard the lesser of whoever it is. Right. right like, and, right. and vice versa. If there was somebody that Scotty probably couldn't handle or it was too quick for Scotty, Michael had it. Right. 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 I'd rather have defensive overlap than offensive overlap because absolutely you ain't got to worry about who has the ball when you're playing defense. In terms of there's no ball to share, it's I got to stop this guy. And that's why they broke up Damon CJ, because there was no overlap yep. defensively. There was yep. overlap offensively. Right. Neither guy played defense and defense wins titles mm. like. The reason Steph and Clay work is because 
Steph is resourceful defensively, while Clay is probably more of a point of attack defender. Definitely. He could guard point guards and and allow Steph to to kind of hide a little bit on somebody else. Like this was like Steph putting on that extra weight actually allowed him to handle more of his own on defense, especially when they would hunt him in switches, things like that. So I would rather have defensive overlap guys that can cover for each other than guys that they're worried about who gets the ball and who's getting the shots. So that being said, like we're going to go from Boston now to the golden state side. Yeah. And we got, we got to talk about their, you know, what we're looking at with this team moving forward. I mean, you got the big three. They'll be going into year 11 together, assuming that Draymond doesn't retire to do his podcast full time. But Hey, Draymond, like, you're, you're, you're welcome to jump on an episode at any time. Or if you'd rather have us, that's cool. Either one works. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, we, 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 would, we would love the exposure either way. But, like, <laughs> when I look at Golden State, I mean, you think about, like, they won this year, and this was probably the most improbable run that they had because they i mean they were tested i mean not look at the teams they had to go through i mean they had denver they had memphis both of those teams have you got you got the the two-time uh what two-time mvp now with Jokic back to back at this point right? back to back you got a guy that's an mvp candidate in ja morant shout out to ja they beat luca who's who's probably gonna be the odds on favorite to win mvp next year i agree and and they just knocked out a first team all NBA and the defensive player of the year. All that happened in one run. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we we talked about this before coming on of the four titles that Golden State won, I think this one is the most impressive because this was the first you could make the argument like we mentioned earlier, this was probably the least talented group probably since the one that won the title if you think about it because the first title you know, the asterisk everybody wanted to put on that was, oh, they beat, they, they won because everybody got hurt. And that, I'm like, that, at I, the end of the day, like everybody I, is hurt at the end of the year. I, I got to You got to yeah. play the games, bro. I, I got to say it. That annoys me so much. I, I've gotten into so many conversations with people that want to say, oh, well, so-and-so wouldn't have won this ring if this person or that person wasn't hurt. I don't care. I, I don't bubble. care. I look, oh, don't get me started on the bubble. I, I could literally host an entire episode on that one by myself. Look, yeah. I that that drives me crazy. Oh, this wouldn't have happened if so and so wasn't hurt. You're absolutely right. But guess what? They were. And at the end of the day, your job is to beat who's in front of you. Like, Bottom. like, are, are we going? Are we going to stop the games because a guy has a sprained ankle on the other team? Like, that's not going to happen. Thank like, you. Like. The, the counter argument to, the, oh, it was a bubble title. I'm like, bro, everybody was in the bubble. It's not Thank like it's you. not like the Lakers got a chance to play in Staples and then everybody else had to come to the Lakers and everybody exactly. had to do all this. Everybody was in the same place. Everybody had to go through the same protocol. Exactly. A title is a title. The exactly. fact that they, the only thing that helps anybody in the bubble argument is that there was like what a two month break, like in the middle right. of the season. So like the Lakers, LeBron, like those dudes could get healthy if they were dealing with anything, they could get healthy. And that worked for a lot of teams. Of course. It's like, look at Phoenix, Phoenix used the bubble to become Phoenix. 
Mm-hmm. Like Phoenix went undefeated in the bubble and they didn't make the play in just because their record was so bad before That's, they got there. Exactly. So it's like, That's right. And you're talking about a team that went to the NBA finals mm-hmm. and you're talking about a team that, you know, got put out by the Mavs this year, but I ain't going to talk about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all I'm saying is Phoenix, Phoenix had to, Phoenix had went from being a bottom feeder in the league. The bubble was kind of their catapult to being the 64 win team that, that, you know, made the playoffs this year and was like number one seed in the conference. So when I look at Golden State this year, the big three did what they were supposed to do. Clay was hurt most of the year. They they kept him out. He didn't come back for, until he didn't come back until almost mid-January. And and you know, by the time he came back and and started to get comfortable, I mean, you know, there was a lot of things that weren't set up for Golden State. This was the first time that they weren't like the the top team and everybody's looking up at them i feel like the west was wide open i mean think about it yeah phoenix was the number one seed they got put out like utah a couple years ago was like a top seed they got put out so it's like these last couple years have been kind of wide open and if i recall or if i recall neither neither number one team made it this year to the finals because miami was number one in the west so it's I, i can't remember the exact number on it but i think that it, it's been it's been a good amount of time since the finals actually saw number one from both conferences and that's that's what i love about this game and it goes right back to that whole injury this that whatever this people people tend to ignore the fact that the game of basketball is just a more active game of chess you have to plan ahead Things are going to happen. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you play. It doesn't matter who your opponent is on any given night. You have one job. Win. That, that's, that's it. That's what you're here to do. So to, to come out and imply that any team's title means less than another, to me, is the ultimate slap in the face. That, that'd be like me coming out and saying that, Tim Duncan's first title doesn't count because it was a lockout year. So what? So what? You went Everybody out there. Everybody came back to play at the same time. Exactly. There you was came... no advantage. Exactly. The, the way the way that you the way and and it, it's good that you made that point about you know people being injured and, and planning ahead, mm-hmm. thinking ahead. Look at Golden State's roster. <laughs> they just yeah. had a first they just had a, a first time all-star in andrew wiggins right it, um, we just talked we talked about how this dude was making a push to possibly you know threaten steph as as the finals mvp he was playing that well yeah he was and so andrew wiggins in the prime of his career hey they got is, a guy a cheat code for this team hey they they, they don't they, win the title without andrew wiggins right they got a guy they got a guy that's waiting in the wings and i hear he's quite a wise man yeah exactly and and you got a you got a a, a top pick in the draft in andrew in uh in in wiseman right like he didn't even play much this year if at all he didn't play at all right um i can't remember if he made main roster but he did spend some time in santa cruz with um with clay yeah so like like wiseman is kind of He's he's the guy that they drafted to kind of be their big man of the future, right? Mm-hmm. You look at Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole's only 22, but this dude's a sniper. Like he's that he's that 
that next guy that's coming in to to be their their fire starter off the bench like flash you look cousin. at the, like, splash, the splash cousin <laughs> exactly like he took he took the he took the splash bros and made it a pool party like you Look. see what i'm saying <laughs> like and then you think about all the young guys like think about all the dynasties we've we've talked about like say we talked about the bulls right all those dudes got older and they couldn't pay everybody mm-hmm. so then they blew it up look right. at the celtics right since we're talking about dynasties yep the celtics were on their last legs when they drafted lynn bias and made God rest his soul. He was supposed to be the bridge the between the golden era of the Celtics with Bird and the yeah. and the next wave, right? Yeah. When you look at Golden State and you look at this this roster, the big three, all those dudes are up in age. All these like I think what isn't I think Clay might be the youngest of the three. I believe so. I'm but all sure of them are in, like approaching their mid thirties. I think Clay's like thirty two, mm. right? And so. That and, in, and in basketball old. and in basketball talk, yeah, man, you you about to get fitted for a you know Kane and Walker, exactly. And and what what Golden State has done smartly is they acquired they acquired a guy like Andrew Wiggins, who's a young guy in his prime. I think Andrew Wiggins is like what twenty seven. So it's yeah. like you take that guy, and and you look at Jordan Poole and James Wiseman and Jonathan Kaminga and Gary Payton and Moses Moody, like. That's your whole rotation yeah, next year. Like, think about that. Like, all those dudes have shown enough potential to where you could see leaps from multiple guys going forward. So, like, their window is open, not because of the heavy lifters in the big three. It's the other guys. Yeah. Like, look at San Antonio. Kawhi was the bridge from their big three to them winning. Like uh, they were still there, but Kawhi was the was the one that broke out and and was able to help them win more, help them win another title. So it's like having a contingency plan, having a plan in place. Like you know, you see it with other teams now. It's like look at look at Dallas, right? They went from Dirk Nowitzki to Luka Doncic. Mm-hmm. You go from the greatest european player of all time to the guy that's going to become the greatest european player of all time not many people can can bridge that gap and luca's already been to the playoffs now and he's he's proven to be one of the greatest playoff performers we've got so like being able to go from the old guard to the new guard maybe given given an older team a little bit of a facelift actually keeps that window open that's what golden state showed and and with boston their gap is going to be closed by getting help with the roster, getting guys, getting more guys that can contribute, but also adding maybe some, some more experience guys that have been there before, if you can, Uh, because that's, you know, like this year it was a trial by fire. Nobody hit on their roster had been there before. So it's, you have to add the right amount of experience also with the right guys that can actually contribute. And I think Golden State, through the draft, through free agency, uh, they got guys that could help. I mean, look at look at some of the guys that didn't play a whole lot in this series. Look at Nemanja Bielitsa, right? Bielitsa was on a cheap deal. I mean, I, what, it was like a one-year deal or something. So, like, 
Bielitsa is a guy who's versatile. He's a, he, he, he plays the right way. High IQ guy. Look at Andre Gudala, high IQ guy. Doesn't play a whole lot, but he serves a purpose in that he can coach guys up. Right. You can throw in some wild cards when you got high IQ guys on the bench because you got people that can keep those dudes in check and Golden State's future. They could win with this group. They could probably win two, three more titles. It's not a stretch because of how they draft, how they get guys in free agency and the guys that are already there that are going to hold up their end of the bargain and not have egos. And I think that that's the reason that they've been so successful is that nobody thinks they're bigger than anybody else. And everybody, Steph Curry carries himself like just another guy. And that's, that's the reason that they win. Absolutely. Perfect segue. I'm glad that you said that because there's something that I feel the need to point out. And I don't even feel like it's all basketball related. Um, I, what I want to mention is you know, of course, of course, we'll get into it, you know, at a later date. I doubt it. It'll make it into this pod because we're already running kind of long here. Um, Steph freaking Curry. Um, if you look at the kind of player that he was from, you know, Davidson to, to coming into the pros and everything he's been through in his career, I mean, two time, you know, regular season MVP, the only unanimous regular season MVP that we've ever had. One of the things that everybody wanted to hang over his head was the fact that he was never a finals MVP. And I think that tonight, if you paid close attention to this game and to the ceremony afterwards, it, it's one of those things where if you don't like, or you don't love Steph Curry, uh, it might be something wrong with you. I, I think that it had to be pointed out tonight just how impactful this was, honestly, from an emotional standpoint. Like if you if you look at the last minute of the game, once it's finally sunk in that Golden State is taking this home, Steph Curry sat down, the shot clock ran out. I think it was about three, four seconds left. Steph sat on the court and started crying. And... and I just think that seeing his emotion come out, it it was it it was amazing to see. At least I'll say that for myself. I don't know how everybody else feels, but just seeing just seeing the joy, seeing the emotion, everything just overcome him, it it was it was awesome to see. But to me, my favorite moment of the night by far. All of this talk in the media about, you know, oh, Steph is missing this. Steph needs that finals MVP, blah, blah, blah. That's the one thing that everybody's trying to hang over his head. So uh, the deputy commissioner <laughs> comes up ready to award the finals MVP trophy. Because if you know, you know, if you, if you don't know, you know by now that uh, Commissioner Silver wasn't there due to COVID protocols. Um, deputy commissioner comes up, announces the finals MVP as, you know, Steph Curry. So it becomes official, even though tonight pretty much solidified it. We knew there was that debate before, which I think was a very fair debate. But as soon as Davis announces that Steph Curry is the finals MVP, 
if you watched closely, what was the first thing that Steph Curry did? The first thing that he did, he spent almost a minute, a solid minute, high-fiving all of his teammates behind him before he even acknowledged his finals MVP trophy. And that, to me, is why this team is a team that you had better be afraid of for the next few years. That level of camaraderie, that level of brotherhood is something that you need to fear when you're on a basketball court. This man was so about the team that he did not care about his own individual award. After the media tried to tear him down for not having it, he finally won it. And that wasn't even the first thing that was on his mind. I think that the NBA needs to be on watch (laughs) for these Warriors for a minute because these guys are ready, they're hungry, and they are coming back with a vengeance. I mean, and and that's the thing. It's like Steph Curry, I mean, there's been other guys that that were selfless superstars. Like Steph Curry's earned earned all this, man. Like people people think just because Golden State was kind of the villain and, and, you know, just just wrecking the league, you know, Steph Curry gets the he gets the unfortunate rap. Oh, he ruined the game. And he was the main one saying, look, I'm not telling these dudes to go out here and, and shoot 40 footers. I, I, he put in the work to do that. Like, that's the thing. Like when you, when you prepare, when you prepare the way this dude does and you practice the way he does, that stuff's not surprising. Like when you, when you practice 40 footers, and then you can shoot them in the game. You can't just you can't just show up in the gym and say, you know what, I'm just jack up 40 footers. That you gotta you gotta start 40, you gotta start 40 centimeters from the basket, right? And work your way out to 40 feet. And Steph Curry put in that work, and he's one of the most skilled players we've ever seen. But the genius of him isn't the fact that he's such a great shooter and 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 such a great player overall. It's the fact that he is. He is egoless in the fact that it's not about him. It's not about like his numbers. It's not about that. He puts the we before the me. And that's the reason Golden State is as good as they are is because all those guys think like that. They got a lot of guys that have chips on their shoulder. Look at, look at Draymond Green. He can tell you everybody that was drafted before him yep. the year he was drafted. He can tell you that to this day because that's the chip on his shoulder. Like look at Clay Thompson, like, Clay Thompson is one of the greatest shooters we've ever seen, but he can also defend. He's a guy that, that is completely self selfless and chill. Like if he wanted shots, he could go somewhere else and be the guy that takes all the shots. He probably wouldn't be as successful. And I think he realizes that, which is why this, this whole synergy with them works is because they understand like it's, we win because each of us is willing to sacrifice something that benefits the whole group. And that, that's why Golden State continues to win. And, and, and as they get younger and you have guys that are, you know, more talented and, and more bouncy and everything, and they start contributing to that, it's a system and a culture that is conducive to winning. And we talk, we've talked about that before as well. It's like 
culture is important. Chemistry is important. And it also helps to have talent. And Golden State has all that. Yeah, man. It's like, like I said, it's, it's just so the the game the game can be so competitive it, it's just awesome to see these guys like it, it just really shows you those players that just have a genuine love for the game i, I mean it's it, it's hard to believe it but you have players that get to this level you know the premier league in the world and they're simply here you know just to do it they're not here for the love it, it happens nothing against that it's fair but it happens and just seeing the celebration and i tell you i I think a big part of what made an impact with the celebration tonight was the fact that it was in boston um you you have golden state celebrating in the garden you know on the parquet floor only the second time in league history this has happened it's only happened once before in uh, the 85 finals when the Lakers took the Celtics as the only other time that a, a foreign team has celebrated a title on that floor. This, this is history in the making. It is a very big deal. Um, my personal opinion, if I'm in the league and I'm going to win a ring and I can't win it at home, the road arenas that I would love to celebrate in just because of legendary status. Of course, I would say the parquet in Boston. Um, I would say I, I refuse to call it that crypto mess. So I would say Staples Center in LA. Um, I would say, of course, Madison Square Garden, because if you don't, do you actually watch basketball? And I'm also going to throw in there um, the United Center. I, I feel like being able to celebrate on the same floor that Michael Jordan has. Uh, come on, man. And, but the these guys, and I think it was Draymond that brought it up maybe last week. He said that there's a huge difference between celebrating at home and celebrating on the road because when you're celebrating at home, you're, you're celebrating with, you know, 40, 50,000 people. When you're celebrating on the road, you're celebrating with about 40 or 50. And these are the people that have been in the trenches with you all year long. Yeah, it so, just means more. Yeah, so seeing that celebration and then seeing how many, and, and, and more respect to the Boston fans, at, at, I think it was Mike Breen at the end of the game. He was like, oh, and some of the Boston faithful have started to make their way to the exit. Look, don't get me started on that, but y'all aren't Boston faithful. I don't care if you knew the game was over. I've always said that as a fan of a team, if I'm truly a fan, I'm not leaving until that buzzer sounds. That's just me. So it was it, it was awesome to see. Granted, I know it's probably, you know, camera opportunity, this, that, whatever. But it was awesome to see how many of the Boston fans stayed behind, even though their team had just lost in the NBA finals. It, it was it, it was awesome to see just for the sake of the game that win or lose like this is this, this is bigger than a you know potential seven game series it's all about this game and i just love where this game is at right now 
America and, and with Boston, man, it's like, we, you know, we, we've, we've, we've kind of, we've kind of been on their backs, you know, these last couple pods, but they got here because they earned it. They got here because they, you know, nobody expected, they, they had a rough year starting out too. They had a rookie head coach. The coach they had went into the front office. Like this team could have went anywhere. They could have went up or down and they managed to get all the way to the NBA finals and they won the first game of the series. So, you know, called that too. Yeah. And, and see like that team has every, they, they shouldn't hang their heads, even though things didn't go well, it happens. You're not, you're not going, it's their first time getting there and I'm sure they'll be back. It's going to take some, it's going to take some doing as far as, you know, Brad Stevens is going to have to, put his hard hat on and say, okay, how do we fix this roster? But they laid the groundwork for a team that's, that's ready to contend. I mean, it's not going to get any easier in the East. Philly is going to be bad. Brooklyn is going to be there. Milwaukee is going to be back at full strength. And they have, you know, one of the, one of the five best players in the world right now. So it's like, those teams are going to keep coming. And in Boston, stake their claim that hey like we got there because you know they 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 showed some heart you know they won some game sevens to get to the nba finals they couldn't force a last one just because you know there was a talent gap there but they shouldn't hang their heads they have they have a lot of reasons to be proud they got a lot of lessons that they've learned from this and i think i think they'll be back and they got a lot of guys that i think are are that they want to feel this again they want to be back in the finals and 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 potentially win it and you know even though it ends in disappointment you know they can look at a lot of things and said hey if we did this better we did this better you know maybe this series turns out differently and um and golden state did what they had to do to win and boston kind of kind of gave them some opportunities in the end but that's because of youth and inexperience and just really just inexperience honestly i think if if you take this same team and you put them back in the finals a year from now, they they wouldn't make the same mistakes that they made that were just pure inexperience and just being tight. There's a, there's a lot to be said for being there and having done it before. 100% agree. Um, and, and, and again, like I said, Laker fan or not, I'm not using any opportunity to say anything bad about Boston because the just like just like you just said boston a lot of people didn't even think boston deserved to be here i mean at the start of the new year boston had a losing record and during this you know the latter you know calendar part of the year they had one of the best records in the league so they truly deserved to be here they fought their way in and like you said they Sure enough, they couldn't force a game seven. But if you think about it, uh, tonight, game six of the NBA finals was the first elimination game that the Celtics lost in these playoffs. What I want to point out from that is no other team in these playoffs in the Eastern Conference had them at a point where they had to fight their way out nobody else did they every every other quote-unquote elimination game they played was a game seven 
they 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 fought to the bitter end shout out to the boston celtics you did what you were supposed to do you just happened to run into a team that was more experienced that is no knock on you whatsoever you did your job you fought as hard as you could and you deserve praise for making it this far especially as young as you are so I'll tip my hat to Boston. You, you did what, like I said, you did what you came to do. And I think that our true basketball fans that are listening, watching, they see that they see that this Boston roster, they put the work in. They see that coach Udoka put the work in Brad Stevens, put the work in. Everybody was there for the ride and it paid off. It might not have ended the way that, of course, I mean, nobody wants to lose. But getting this far when so many people had written this team off back in December, they they deserve praise for for this path that they put out this season. Absolutely. And and the point I want to make about that is, simply put, there's no shame in losing to the better team. They weren't the better team. They weren't the more experienced team. You know, they weren't their best when the best was required. There's no shame in that, especially when you haven't been there before. They weren't supposed to be there. And, and they, they got there and, and, and made it, they made it tough on Golden State. It wasn't easy. Golden State just, just had a little bit more in the tank than they did and had a little more, a little more weaponry. That's it. There's no shame in losing to the better team. And, um, you know, they go into the offseason with, you know, their heads held high and, and they, they'll retool and, and try to make another run as, as will, you know, 29 other teams. So, you know, that it, it's a shame that, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about Golden State winning the title because that means the basketball season's over. So now we look toward draft, we look toward free agency and things like that. So, you know, that the being draft, said, I mean, draft is only a week away. That draft's only a less, week away. Less, less than a week at this point. <laughs> and I mean, we'll we'll have we'll have things to talk about oh, um, yeah. you know, for the, the next few next few weeks as, as those things start to unfold. So uh, you know, I'll I'll uh, I'll say this because we've said it every pod now. If you've made it this far, thank you so much for your support. Thank you so much for listening. Uh we're it's 3:11 in the morning here on the East Coast. Man. And you know, we've we've you know, we we put a lot of work and, and time into this uh, just to keep you guys entertained and talk hoops. So if you made it this far, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for your support. Uh, you can listen to us on Anchor. You can listen to us on Spotify. You can follow us on Twitter at DJWJ Podcast. Same on Facebook at DJWJ Podcast. If you would like to follow myself, you can find me at It's a Thomas Thing on Twitter. You can find me at the same handle on IG. And you can find my man James at Title Towns Mayor on Facebook. And not, not Facebook. You can find him on IG and Twitter. Um, and we, we'd love to have a conversation with you guys on there. Um, so with that being said, thank you guys for your support. Thanks for listening. And thank you for listening to JWJ. All right. Good night, y'all. We love you. Thank you so much. Please keep tuning in and we will be back. Good night. Good morning or whenever you're listening. Peace. Ooh.